Welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson, a nationally recognized expert in the analysis of complex life insurance structures. In the Acres of Diamonds podcast, Bob talks about the flip side of owning a life insurance policy that your client has outgrown or that has underperformed. We share insight and strategies to help advisors maximize the effectiveness and value of their clients' life insurance policies. Hello, and welcome to the Acres of Diamonds podcast with Bob Larson from The Settlement Masters. Today, Bob is going to share a podcast with us about the evolution of a great industry. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm great. Thank you for tuning in. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Bob, I understand there is an emerging market for seniors who own life insurance. Tell us about when it started and why you think it's important information for the senior community. In 1914, the courts ruled that life insurance policies were special property, just like real estate, stocks and bonds, Mm -hmm. and other real property. In that, there was a industry that bloomed called the secondary market. The secondary market is if you'll visualize the retail insurance issuing market being the primary market where people buy life insurance. The secondary market is the market that was established by investing groups to create the purchase of life insurance as an underlying asset. Okay. What has happened to the secondary market since 1914? Well, it's exploded uh, as a result of many things. The cost of insurance uh, has been raised by insurance companies that's caused policies that were in force to deteriorate. The cash value is being eaten up by the increased costs. That occurred back in 2014 when insurance companies who had been making such little returns on their assets determined that they needed to raise the cost internally in policies. Unfortunately, they did this with a group of seniors people that were in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, policies that were issued in 1990, 2000 through 2008, 2009. And when this happened, it began to erode the policies quickly. Seniors were losing policy values. Therefore, the policies were actually lapsing before the client knew what was going on. Mm. This has created a massive problem for people that did purchase life insurance for the purpose of estate planning, business planning, and other kinds of planning. So the secondary market has become a major industry that is emerging, and things are going on within the state regulatory bodies that I'll mention to you. Wow, that that sounds pretty complex. Why have institutional funds developed an interest in life policies and as an underlying asset for the fund's investment? That's a good question. Investment funds invest in real estate or they invest in stocks and bonds as the underlying asset. What they found is the way life insurance companies issue policies is scientific. They know how many people are going to die at each age. They just don't know who. So when they buy back contracts, they buy them back the same way. They buy them in pools of 100, 500, 1,000, and they buy them back on the life expectancy of the individuals that are in the pool. So they can determine scientifically what the rate of return is. I have funds that uh, come to me that are institutional, and we only deal with institutional funds, which are like pension funds, uh, large hedge funds, that purchase life insurance as an underlying asset. 
they know that that asset purchased properly can yield a return of 14, 15% a year. They have to buy 500, 1,000 of them to make that work, but they know exactly what to buy in order to make that kind of return work. So it sounds like what you're saying is is they buy it as a group. So the individual isn't even singled out in this. It's it's bought by the group, correct? It's bought like bond pools. Yes, it's bought in volumes where people where the funds are buying 500, 1000 policies and put them in putting them then into a pool that is representative of a uh, a given amount of money that they mm-hmm. wanted to invest in life insurance contracts as the underlying investment. Yeah, and makes- as I said, purchase properly with the proper life expectancy studies, which is what a qualified analyst does, purchase properly, they can determine in a thousand policies what the actual return on the fund will be mm-hmm. because some people die soon, some people die late. So life expectancy is not uh, an exact science. It is a science that says 50% of the people that have a life expectancy of five years or six years will have passed, but 50% of them will still be alive. So when the pool decides on a particular life expectancy study to be effective when they purchase a life insurance contract, they know that in a pool, the return rate that they want can be calculated. Got it. What do the institutional funds look for to make the decision to buy a policy from a senior? That's a good question. They're buying an asset, they're buying it in volume, and they'll look for a policy that one has a life expectancy of somewhere between five and 10 years. And again, life expectancy, it means 50% will have passed in five or 10 years and 50% might live 15 years. But that's the guideline then they look for a policy that has a premium, annual premium, to death benefit ratio of under 5%. So if, if it's a million-dollar policy, the premium, uh, the best pricing will come when a premium is about 50000 a million. You can use that number, 5% of the face amount. And with those two things, uh, they're able to determine the actual annual return on the pool that they're purchasing policies into. Mm-hmm. Bob, you and I have talked, spoken a, a lot about this with how many clients you've helped and, and the, the population that you're really helping. What does the financial opportunity look like for someone 70 to 90 years old? Well, you know, that, that's something that we're passionate about because these people that are in that age bracket have been targeted by life insurance companies. Not all of them, but about eight uh, carriers have raised the internal cost of life insurance which has, as I said, eroded the policy, eaten up the cash value more quickly than it was planned, and the policies are going into a lapsed state. Many clients have stopped paying because they had a cash value in the contract, and they just didn't want to pay. One, because the the credit, the free credit, the tax-free credit to pass assets have been raised to $11.2 million per person, and they have less than that. There are a lot of times people have purchased life insurance when the estate was exposed to estate taxes, that is no longer in existence. The second issue is the policy is not working. Oftentimes we do an analysis on a contract and they haven't paid on their life insurance for three or four or five years. When we go back and ask the carrier what they need to catch up, the premium can go four to five times the original premium. 
those are things that drive people in this category to want to know what it is that their policy is doing. What is happening to the economics of my policy? Uh, and someone uh, like our firm is the is the people to go to. Now, the financial opportunity is, I'll give you an example. In, in Fresno, California, we had a company that was having a few problems in 2008. Uh, I was asked by the law firm to come up there and look at their estate, their life insurance portfolio, and I did. And they had two term policies that the CPA firm, as a matter of fact, had asked them to consider dropping them because their business was down and the economics weren't what it, what it was in the past. Their estate had shrunk because of the, uh, the economics uh, in 2008 and they were going to drop them. Well, I immediately looked at them and said, there may be a value here. I said, what is it you need to do in order to turn your company around? And they said, we need a national catalog. So I said, well, wh- how much do you need to, to fund a national catalog? And they said, $500,000. And I said, well, let's do an analysis on your insurance portfolio and see whether or not there's a value in these contracts. He said to me, well, they're term policies, Bob. They're just like a car policy. It expires next year, and I can't convert it because it would cost me too much money. I said, I understand. Let me do the analysis, and I'll come back and tell you what I find. We went into the market. The first thing we do is we determine all the things that they can do to keep their insurance so they know if they want to keep it, what the actual costs were. Mm-hmm. I knew that this family did not have the, this business did not have the funds to keep the life insurance. So they, they were going to cash it in. Well, in this case, they were term policies. There was no value, uh, but they weren't going to convert it. And so when I went into the market, I found immediately that I the, the funds that were out there, like Blackstone and Apollo and the Teachers Union of New Jersey and many of other funds that have set up dedicated funds to buy life insurance policies as the underlying asset, they began to bid. And the bidding started very low, and pretty soon it rose to a million two hundred thousand dollars on these two term policies. Wow. There were That's a total fantastic. of two point five million dollars in face amount, and I got one point two million dollars of gross value out of these contracts. So I called the client and I said, "When are you going to uh, get your catalog?" And he said, "Bob, don't play with me." He says, <laughs> "You know, I don't have the funds. I'm. This is serious stuff." And I yeah. said, I know. And I said, I apologize for playing with you, but I've got your money. In fact, I got a million two hundred thousand dollars out of these term policies wow. in the institutional market. And if you've ever heard a seventy-four-year-old guy cry on the phone, uh, like I did, it makes you feel good. This kind of ignited the fire within me uh, to make sure that I could relay to people in this age category that they absolutely need a diagnostic analytic not salesy, but an analytic evaluation on keeping the life insurance versus uh, selling it in the secondary or institutional marketplace. That's one example. That's fantastic. Go go ahead, please. I've had other examples where the mother had done good estate planning. Uh, She she no longer needed the life insurance. She wanted her son to have the money. Uh, One family up in Beverly Hills, California, 
we settled four of their life insurance contracts they no longer wanted to pay for, they no longer needed because the attorney had done great uh, state planning. We got enough money for them to uh, give to the son, and he began to invest in real estate. That was eight years ago, and today the funds have grown, the equity in his real estate has grown to a higher level than the original life insurance was. Uh, that, again, was kind of a nice thing. So I've, I've got many stories and many letters from clients that have not known that this asset that they own, if they're in this age category, has probable disease, terminal disease. And in order for them to determine the economics of correcting that versus the economics of selling it to a secondary institutional fund is potentially very significant where they could procure funds to buy long-term care for themselves. They could procure funds to increase their retirement. They can procure funds that would be able to give to their children and grandchildren today and watch them enjoy uh, the money today versus when they die. So it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity. It's not only an opportunity uh, state by state by state is mandating that insurance companies notify this age category if they're going to lapse, uh, which means they're not going to pay any more money on their policy or cash in their policy, that they that they should look at the secondary institutional marketplace. So that's that's why it's such a great opportunity. Well, I've got two things for you, Bob. Uh, number one, you better be ready with more stories on future podcasts because I, I want some I want some more examples. Those are amazing stories, and I can imagine the feeling that both of you had on the phone, right? I mean, and he was in tears, and you were probably in tears with joy just to be able to to do that with him. Uh, and and then yeah, secondly, I just I wow, I'm just I'm shocked by uh, just the the pure magnitude of a change and a difference that can make. So, what should someone in this category know about, or or what should they look for? If they are no longer going to keep their policy and are considering cashing in or lapsing a life insurance policy, Bob? First of all, the problem is trustees, uh, people that are trustees over life insurance, have no idea that this is existing. It's an it's a anomaly in the life insurance industry where this cost increase is destroying policies. Very few people know it. In fact, there's a, a study by the, uh, the Lisa, which is the uh, the academic uh, overseer of the settlement world has come out with statistics in the last several months that $143 billion of life insurance is going to lapse this year or be cashed in and every year for the next 11 years by seniors in this age category. And they polled the people that were that were in that category about if what they knew about settlements and had they checked into it. And 90% of them said they had no idea this this existed. And, and of the 90%, 79% of them said, I, you know, I'm really disappointed that my advisor or my fiduciary didn't tell me about this. Had they known, had they known, like in the prior example I gave you about the company in Fresno, mm -hmm. had they known that the money was in those contracts by using the secondary market as an opportunity they would be very unhappy. This particular firm said they were going to fire the CPA because he was. they were the ones that told him, you might as well not renew the policies because you don't need them anymore and they're too costly. The law firm was the one 
that called us in to do the diagnostic analysis on the policy. But here's what they need to know. Firms, there's a lot of firms out there, and I won't mention any of them, but there's a lot of firms out there that are just interested in selling the contract. And and, and that's fine. But in 2008 or 2004, actually, when I began to do uh, settlements as a firm, I was called in by, by a large accounting firm, one of the big six at that time, to do an analysis on a, on a policy that uh, was owned by a company being sold. And the owner of the company that was selling the company uh, was going to take his key man policy that the company had purchased on him, and, and he was going to cash it in. It was, uh, they had a cash value of $238,000. But this firm, the accounting firm, said before he did that, they wanted a professional analysis on if, if he should do that. And, and if he shouldn't, why? I was given that opportunity. Now, at that point, I knew very little about the settlement marketplace, and it had really not been as regulated as it is today. And I got into the market, and I found that I didn't like what was going on. It was at that point I developed a client-compliant process that 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 compliant process covers an academic view of everything that client could do to keep the policy versus selling it to an institutional fund. And in doing so, they make a logical decision of what's the right thing for their family. We do not allow settlements to be pushed because it's not, it's a matter of economics. Well, what a, uh, a person needs to know is they need to work with a firm that does do that. In this particular case with this guy selling the company, he was going to, he was on the verge of cashing it in in the next few days and taking the $238,000. And the policy then would go back to the carrier and it would be all over. What I found when I went through and got to the funds and figured out what I needed to do to protect the client, I got bids in the institutional market amongst many different funds because it's an auction. When we put together a file, it's an auction of as many as five to 15 different funds, whoever's in the market at the time, whether it's Brookshire or whether it's uh, uh, any one of a number of different funds that, that we go to. And when we go to them, they start bidding on the fund. And it's like any other auction. Uh, it starts low and builds up. So what a person needs to look out for is I got $6 million for this case, this Holy policy cow, wow. that was owned by the company, when he was going to cash it in for 238 But... What we had done is we had laid out exactly what he had to do to keep it, and he signed off that I am not interested in keeping this, I don't need it, and I understand the numbers, I appreciate it, I'm taking the $6 million. And to, believe me, the accounting firm was was elated. Uh, he could not believe. I mean, can you imagine selling something back to or giving it back to the carrier that gave you 238 and in the real market it was worth $6 million? And you found out it after you turned it back to the carrier. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. So what clients should look for is a firm that does an analytic evaluation and clearly makes the numbers laid out so that the client knows what they can do to keep it and uh, what what the values are in the market. And I'll only say this as a tagline. Uh, when we started in the business, we went to the E&O market, the malpractice market, because every company needs to have that kind of insurance. And it wasn't available for any any companies in our industry. 
And so I sent them. I, I couldn't believe with what we do from a compliance standpoint that they wouldn't give it to us. And so I sent them our compliance report. And in three days, Lloyds of London called us back and said, after looking at what you do, you're the first firm that we're going to move forward with. And we give, uh, we are covered with a bundle of E&O, and we give it to every advisor to protect him in the client process. And we protect the client with the fully disclosed, transparent compliance report that we deliver to them at the close. So what they need to look for is that. That's fantastic. Bob, if a senior wants to know more about selling their life insurance policy or just really wants more information, uh, how do they contact you and, and what's that next step? What I have done is I have created a complimentary preliminary evaluation for clients. Uh, I just am passionate about this. People that are in the 70 to 90 year range must, absolutely must have an analytic, objective, diagnostic done on their life insurance portfolio. Many of the life insurance contracts were sold by agents that are no longer around, they're not in the business, or they don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of being blamed. It has nothing to do necessarily, in all cases, of them being blamed. But what they need to do is they need to find a company like ours, that does an analytic review that completes a compliance report that keeps transparency open, that gives them a client report every week on the process that uh, goes through a systematic uh, evaluation of complete transparency and does that on a complimentary basis. Our objectivity in this process is, uh, is absolute. We absolutely want a client to know everything that they can do to keep the policy and what the economics are of moving it to the secondary market. They can call my firm at 877-927-7243. Even if they don't use us, we can give them specific information of who to interview or not who, but what to interview, what to say uh, if you're interviewing people. And we'd be delighted to be in that lineup. That's 877-927-7243. I highly encourage anyone listening to this podcast that that has even the slightest question about their life insurance policy and 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 the possibility of selling it, how that all works. Please give Bob and his team a call. I mean, they have done amazing work, uh, and I'm excited to be working with him in this in this podcast. Bob, do you have any other closing thoughts for us before we wrap this up? I just want to say that action, while you're thinking about this, is imperative. Uh, there's a poem that I've used over and over again, but it's so true. On the plains of hesitation, bleak the bones of countless millions that on the dawn of victory sat down to wait, and there they died. Please don't let your policies die. Get on the phone. Call us, 877-927-7243. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Thank you for listening to today's Acres of Diamond podcast with Bob Larson from Settlement Masters. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Bob comes out with a new podcast, it will show up directly on your listening device. It also makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And you are going to want to because this next podcast is entitled The Volcano is Ready to Blow. And I know that Bob's going to bring it and he's going to uh, just absolutely blow your mind with this next podcast. So please join us uh, and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Settlement Masters, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Acres of Diamonds podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Thank you.